Our guest today is a dear friend of Victory Church. He has uh, been at Southeastern University and very, uh, what, probably for eight years or so. We've had the privilege of knowing Dr. Kent Engel. I can tell you under the grace of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and those that he has surrounded himself with, Southeastern has taking advancement in uh, leaps and bounds and has a reputation now of growth, a reputation of godliness, a reputation of uh, training young ministers uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, he's been able to make an impact among the highest levels of education, not only regionally, not only uh, nationally in the Assemblies of God, but he's also been able to take advances as it relates to the government and the uh, education of our government. And God has given him favor. He is an individual that you'll learn to love. He is a great preacher. He is a personal friend. And in a moment, we're going to show a video, but he's going to come. And while he comes and we see the video, would you welcome our guest today, the one and only, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Kent Engel. Well, good morning. What a privilege to be with all of you and all of those joining online. Victory Church is my home church, our family's home church, so it's great to be among family. And the video that you just viewed, that was our opening weekend this past August as we welcomed our seventh straight record-breaking enrollment, 8,759 students to God's glory. Over a thousand freshmen and transfer students, brand new to Southeastern University. And we consider it a privilege to come alongside students that God sends our way. And we take very seriously the gifts that He gives us. Each student is a gift, and we want to be good stewards of those gifts. And so that's why it's a privilege for our faculty and staff to come alongside them helping them to discover and develop their divine design, the way God made them, wired them, created them, because he's going to use them in a powerful way. We tell every student, you're a solution to something in this world that he's raised you up to become. And we get to come alongside and pour education, and we get to pour knowledge, and we get to pour experience into their lives so that they will go out. The sole purpose is they will go out in their calling operating in their design so they can serve Jesus, they can serve the church, and they can serve the world, again, to God's glory. And we are grateful for that privilege. We are grateful for Victory Church, the partnership that we have with you. My goodness, you have been great friends to our university for years and years. We are grateful for the way that you support us financially in many ways, but most importantly, we're grateful for your prayers. Prayer is powerful, makes all the difference. And when we pray for our university, our faculty, staff, and most importantly for our students, we know that we can trust God for what He will do in our university, and we are grateful. Grateful to Pastor Wayne Blackburn. He serves as our vice chair of the board of trustees. Uh, he is a great friend, a great friend to me. He's a mentoring friend. And I tell you, he has always encouraged, come alongside. God has used him to speak into my life in so many ways throughout my journey as the president of Southeastern University. He's also the pastor to our leadership team. 
Uh, every six to eight weeks, our leadership team, our vice presidents, we gather in Pastor Wayne's office, and it's a time of accountability. He holds us accountable, but it's also a time to uh, study together, to hear a word from the Lord together. Uh, oftentimes, we might cry together, we talk a lot, and we laugh a lot. By the way, how many realize Pastor Wayne Blackburn has the gift of humor? Amen? Amen. I think it's a gift. And every time we are around him, every time I'm around him, I walk away strong. Why? Because through his humor, what happens? Joy begins to well up. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. So we are stronger when we laugh together with Pastor Blackburn, and then, of course, we pray. It's a, it's a wonderful time, and I am grateful for Pastor Blackburn. I know we've all been praying for him, continue to pray for him, and even now, may we all agree that he senses at this moment the overwhelming presence of our great physician. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Blackburn, for your kind invitation to be here today. Well, let's get into the Word. I tell you this, I simply want to encourage you today that before you leave this place, before you click off the internet or the online where you are watching, that you will realize this morning without a doubt that God specializes in the impossible. And He specializes in the impossible in your life in your circumstance, in your situation. How many know that when you write a letter, and I honestly think we've kind of lost the art of writing letters in our age because, my goodness, with, with all the technology we have and the iPhones, iPads, we have, you know, direct messaging, we have emails, and, and you know, we, we just, we've kind of lost that art of sitting down and because when you sit down to write a letter, you kind of have to reflect a little bit and you're able to, as you're writing, really pour out your heart, especially at the end of a letter. In fact, I think we all know that at the end of a letter, that's really some of the most important things that you want to say to whom you are writing uh, this letter to. I remember my wife, Karen, uh, we, uh, I often wrote letters to each other, and, and, uh, and we, there was a little time right before we got married, there was some distance. I was at a job, and, and she was still finishing school, and... Uh, so we would write, and the other day we were looking through a couple of those letters and, and found uh, a couple of letters that I had written her, and, and so as so we got through the end, at the very end is the most important thing you want to say, and, and, and I told her uh, at this one letter we were reading, it said, I wish, Karen, I could turn back the clock because I'd find you sooner and love you longer. Ah... <laughs> and then it wasn't, but maybe, oh, I think it was about a week or two before we got married, and uh, my letter was to her. And the very last thing I said to her, I said, Karen, as we begin our journey as husband and wife, I just want you to know that I will always love you without condition. I will always listen to you without judgment. I'll always care without expectation, and I will always give to you without reason. I love you. And um, words matter, especially when you write at the end of a letter. It's heartfelt. 
Words that come at the end are often the words that come from the soul. They have deep meaning. One of my favorite books in Scripture in the New Testament is the book of James. I love the book of James because he writes about everyday life. He writes about the issues and the challenges and things that we face and how we need to to live life, how we need to commit our lives to, to, to Christ every day and walk through those challenges and issues. At the end of the letter, though, again, at the end of his letter, some very powerful words, words that really he wants to convey in an extremely important way. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of James, James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 20. Whatever form you have, feel free to take it out if that's an old-fashioned Bible that you have in hand, or maybe it's an iPhone, iPad again, but we're also going to put it on the screen uh, as well so that you can follow along. But when you look at this particular passage, beginning with verse 17, Elijah was human even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. It says, the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, those who turn sinners from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. The final words here of James in his letter, in his book, he references a prayer, and it's a miraculously answered prayer that happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before James was actually writing this. Now, you have to understand the context of what he's writing about. He's talking about the people of Israel, and he's talking about Elijah the prophet, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, and it's the job of the prophet to make sure that people are honoring God. And when the leaders don't honor God, when the people don't honor God, even when the priests don't honor God, the prophet has to step in and has to be declaring, you know, in a profound way, hey, you've got to straighten up your act. You've got, you know, you've got to repent of your sins. You, you've got to put your hand back into the hand of God and have right relationship with God. And during Elijah's time, there was a bad streak of behavior going on in the nation of Israel. And it was not just of the people, the way they were living, but the worst streak of behavior was actually happening in the leadership of the nation of Israel. I mean, when you look and you read the stories from king to king to king to king, things just got, kept going from, from bad to worse. It was a horrible time, a corrupt time, a time of hate. In fact, there's a little phrase in the Old Testament that happens around the time of Elijah. It says that wickedness simply became a trivial Thing. Sounds a lot like what we might be living in today. Wickedness, just a trivial thing. People just got accustomed to how corrupt and violent leadership was over the nation of Israel. And then when everyone thought it couldn't get any worse, 
the new king comes along. The new king is King Ahab. And he came to power, and he was the worst of all of them. Everything went south for the nation of Israel. So what does Elijah do? The prophet has to step in, and the prophet doesn't know, how, 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 how am I going to get these people to once again turn back to God? He's been talking to the leaders. They won't listen. He's been talking to the people. They won't listen. Talks to the priests. They won't listen. So he says, what will bring this nation back to repentance and sole reliance on God? He's kind of working through this. And so when you look at the context, all of a sudden, he starts to realize, hey, wait a minute here. Maybe, maybe some natural disaster of some kind, maybe a, maybe a famine, maybe if there was a drought and there was no food and people realized Wow, we're in a terrible mess that we cannot solve ourselves. There's no way that we can do this. It would have to, to be the hand of God upon our situation. And so he's thinking about all of this. You know, God could superintend in the, in the natural order and, and shuffle the high-pressure systems with the low-pressure systems, and, and, and God, through his supernatural presence, could clock them around so that there wouldn't be rain in a certain part of the land. Elijah thinks this over, and the story tells us in conclusion, yes, I will pray. I believe God can do the supernatural. So by faith, can you imagine this prayer by Elijah, a prayer of faith? Dear God, Close up the heavens for a couple of years. I know you can close the heavens and no rain. And it says he prays that prayer of faith. And what happens? God responds and there is no rain, not for two years, but for three and a half years. But what's the result? It drives the nation to its knees and they repent, and they turn back to God. And then the story says that after a while, Elijah says, I think that's about enough. I'm going to pray another prayer of faith, and he begins to pray this prayer of faith. God, now I believe you can re-adjust re, uh, the clock, the, the meteorological systems around the other way, and you can bring back those low-pressure systems over the land, and rain can fall. Dear God, may it rain, and then it rains, and the crops are restored, for the people of God are in right relationship with God. Now, the size of this miracle was such that, think about this, this was passed on from fathers to son, from, from mothers to daughters, from generation to generation, all the way to the time of the writing here where James is, is pinning these powerful words because he's saying here at the end of this letter, he's saying, brothers and sisters, I want you to hear my final words don't ever underestimate the power of God. You know, when you look at his letter, he talks about character, he talks about suffering, he talks about the power of words. When you read James, he talks about the power of discipline. But his closing words are so much more powerful. He's saying to them, listen, you're marching off to an uncertain future. 
You don't know what's out there. There's going to be some trouble along the way. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be some pain that, that, that touches your life. But don't despair. Don't get hopeless. Understand that you must live this key value in your life. Never, ever underestimate the power of Almighty God. We cannot lose sight of that. It's reminiscent, actually, of the words of Jesus when He was with His disciples they were having conversations. He told them this, remember, no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, no matter the circumstances, no matter the journey, with man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. All things are possible. Friends, if you think about it, the underlying presupposition of our entire faith, of, of, of really when you think about Christianity, you've got you've to understand the underlying presupposition is that God can do anything. God can do anything. He can do the miraculous. He's been capable of that throughout all of history. He's capable now and He's capable for tomorrow, for the future. All throughout the Old Testament, that's why I love Scripture, because it reminds us of who God is. And, and all throughout the Old Testament, what does God do? He speaks through burning bushes. He parts the sea. He drops manna from heaven. He causes upsets in battles. I mean, what's the message throughout? All things are possible with God. You come into the New Testament, what's the first thing you see? He puts a star over a stable. And a Savior is born who can change your life and my life for eternity. And then you see the healings of Jesus when he goes from town and village to village and, and begins to, to pray and miracles happen. And then you see the early church. We read that signs and wonders happened in the early church and begin to follow the people. And they stood in awe of the power of God and the number of times. God's supernatural presence broke into human experience. It changed hearts and it changed lives. Because fundamental to this whole notion of our faith is with God all things are possible. But listen carefully. There's a huge difference in just accepting that as this theological premise or, uh, you know, proving it to be true in your, you know, your own life. I mean, if I said how many of you, true or false, would raise your hand, you know, God can do anything He wants. God's presence is powerful. God can do all things. You would probably, most of us, yes, yes. But let me ask you this. How many of you would be willing to go a little bit deeper? How many of you would be willing to pray some risky prayers. Risky prayers that you would really have to step out in faith and trust to prove the supernatural power of God in your life and in your experience because that, my friend, separates the tire kickers from the buyers. That kind of faith. Once you pray the prayer of faith, then you have to begin trusting God's answer for your life, an answer that is best for where He's leading you 
and guiding you. Let me tell you another story. One of my favorite heroes in Scripture is King David. And I remember starting to learn about King David when I was in Sunday school as a little boy. Of course, the big story we know is how he slew the giant, Goliath. Had a lot of courage to step up as a young man. Of course, when I got older and I began to study more about the Scriptures and especially about David, realized that, wow, David actually was a Renaissance man. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He was, when you think about it, he was a politician. He was a a statesman. And most of all, he had a huge love for God, a huge love for God. But I think we all know that David had some tough times, some tough times because of his choices. And we know that David made a terrible mistake at one point in his life. Scripture tells us that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he compounded his sin by literally murdering her husband. And then he took Bathsheba as his wife, and then they had a child together. The Bible tells us that God disciplined David for the sin of adultery, disciplined him for the sin of murder. And one of the ways that God chose in the discipline is that he announced to David, David, your newborn son that you had just had with Bathsheba was going to fall ill and would die. When David heard that news from the Lord, immediately the Bible says that he laid flat down on the floor of the palace. It says that he didn't shave, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, he didn't change his clothes. He just wept and fasted and prayed 24-7. Wept, fasted, and prayed. And it was overwhelming prayer, overwhelming with his emotions and all that he was thinking as he made this request before God. For seven days he did this. His staff, the Bible says, that all these government leaders that were around him, that served him, were, you know, what's going on here with David? Why is he so overwhelmed, and, and, and why is he doing this? And meanwhile, his, his, his child is getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and David, you know, again, just face down 24 hours a day, and then the child dies. And some of David's staff get together, and they say, no, wait a minute. How, 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 you know, David, he's been in bad shape for seven days. How can we, how can we go in and tell him that his, his baby has, has, has died? And the Scripture says that they were so, so worried and had such fear that if they told him, they thought David would kill himself with sadness and such a heavy sense of guilt. But they had to tell him sooner or later, so one of them timidly goes in to where David was. And said, David, your son has died. Do you know what David does? Immediately he gets up 
He showers. He puts on clean clothes. He asks for some food. He walks over to the temple. He kneels down. And do you know what he does? He worships God. He worships God, declaring, God, I still love you. I, I will serve you. I will honor you. I mean, he comes back, starts going about his business, and, and his staff are now completely perplexed. And one of them turns to, to David. David, while your child was alive, you were in anguish. You were on the floor and you were pleading. And, and then you learn your child dies and you get up and you go off and you clean yourself up and you go into the temple and you begin to worship. What gives? Here's David's response. And I can tell you this phrase has been extremely foundational to my life. Because I've faced a lot of tough stuff. And it's David's response that is important for us to know. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me. And let this child live. In that response, in that passage, the second key value that I want you to walk out of here with today, two words. Who knows what God will do? Who knows how God might step into your life, into your circumstance? into your experience. David knew, think about this, David knew that God had pronounced judgment on his child. David knew that, that God had predicted that this was going to happen as a result of, of his sin. But here's David, you know, flat on his face saying, while there is still one breath left in the lungs of my child, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to ask God. Who knows? God might be gracious. God might do a miracle. God might change his mind. Who knows? But I've got to lean into hope. I've got to lean into faith. I've got to lean into trust. I've got to lean into the possibility power of Almighty God that He can bring that to bear on this situation. But then He says, but when the child died, then I realized it's time to move on. He says in verse 23, but now that He's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? No, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. How many of us, including myself, most of the time think of worst-case scenarios in our life, in our circumstance? Worst-case pertaining to our future What's going to happen? But this text said, why don't you orient your mind? Why don't you look towards best case scenarios? Why don't you use the words of David, the, the same words when he declared, who knows? God might be gracious. God might do something supernatural. We have to find out. I want to introduce to you 
one of our amazing students at Southeastern University, Elena Espinosa. Elena, would you join me on the platform? I want you to hear how God was gracious to her life. Here you go, Elena. Elena is a sophomore at Southeastern. She's from Bentonville, Arkansas, and she's majoring in digital journalism. I want you to hear her story this morning. Share with us, Elena. Thank you. When I was a sophomore in high school, I got hit in the jaw with a softball, and it displaced the cartilage between my upper and lower jaw, beginning this process of my lower jaw disintegrating and running into my airway and even causing me to have a hard time breathing. And my senior year of high school, they told me that my only option at that point was total jaw joint replacement surgery. So going into this past year, my freshman year of school, I remember my mom even telling me before I left that she really believed that she was going to get a call from me and say that I no longer needed surgery and that God had healed me. And so for three years, I had responded to every altar call for healing. I had prayed and just believed that God was who he says he is, that he could heal me. And that best case scenario, he did the super, He would do the supernatural. And I just had to keep believing because who knew what he could do. So the second night of SEU conference, the speaker gave a call for healing. And he said, anyone who needs healing, raise your right hand. So I raised my right hand and he prayed over everyone with their hand raised. And then he said, place your hand where you need healing. And I placed it on my jaw and nothing happened. But the Holy Spirit was so present in that sanctuary that night that I really felt him say, just keep pressing in. So as he went back into worship, I raised both my hands and I said, there's pain and I give it to you. There's soreness and I give it to you. And in that moment, I took in a deeper breath than I had taken in the past three years. And as I closed my mouth, I felt my teeth align as if my lower jaw had just shifted forward. And I just had a peace come over me that God had just healed me. And on the way back to campus that night, I was able to call my mom and tell her that I had been healed, that I no longer believed I needed surgery. And a month later, I went back home over spring break, and the doctor told me just that, that without the pain and with the ability to breathe, I was no longer required to have surgery. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Elena, for sharing your story. Who knows? Who knows what God might do? Think about that. Elena had been praying and praying and praying for, I believe it was three years before God stepped in, but she never gave up, and she kept praying and trusting and seeking because who knows what God will do. I have to remind you of something here. David had prayed for his son. He was leaning into faith. He was leaning into hope, saying, who knows? He might be gracious. God, in this particular situation, continued the course of action. He didn't intervene in a supernatural way, and sometimes that might be the case. But we have to trust God. We have to know he knows what's best for our life. But ask David if he were to do it all over again, if he would take the same approach, if he would call out to God, you bet his life he would, because what's the alternative of faith? It's darkness. It's despair. It's hopelessness. It's fatalism. And if people want to live there, you can live there. But that's not for a child of God. Who knows what God might do? And certainly in different seasons over the years of my life and 
our family's life. I've, you know, we've had some seasons of darkness and we've had seasons of disappointment and discouragement and sometimes that were so difficult to endure that on times, you know, I just, I'd want to, you know, I didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't even want to mention it and, and I wanted to bail and I was frustrated. God, you're not answering and, and why can't we see direction and all of that and, and, and this and that and just, you know, kind of complain and look at the worst case of, of every situation. But just about the time that I was thinking about bailing and walking away, I'd go back to those two words of David. Who knows? Who knows a week from now, a month from now? Who knows a year from now? Who knows when God might intervene and He might solve that problem that's wrecking our heart? Who knows? that he might relieve that pressure and change what's going on in the circumstances and, and bring that miracle. And I'm so glad no matter what we face, when I, when I think of our lives, Karen, and, and, and this past year we celebrated 33 years of marriage and we look back, I'm so glad that we didn't walk away and, and we didn't bail, but that we kept leaning into faith and we didn't default to worst case and the hopelessness side of things, but we trusted in God because we always believed who knows what he might do in the midst of our circumstance. So I ask you this morning, what about you? How are you going to walk into your future? In your response to this word today, please don't stay in the safety zone. Don't stay comfortable. Don't keep spinning out worst-case scenarios. I want you today, even today, because who knows? God might touch your body today and heal you in Jesus' name. God might answer that prayer about a family member. God might provide a new job that you've been praying about. Who knows? Take that step of faith and see what God does. How will you know unless you do it? How will you know? I'm assured that when we do step out, Scripture says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro to someone whose heart fully belongs to him and longs for him because he wants to fully show himself strong to your life. I close with this because it's the very end of the end of James' letter. These are his final words. It's James 5, verses 19 and 20. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. You know what James is saying here in his final sentence here? He's saying if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else that I've told you to do, would you at least go out and find a wayward, isolated, alienated person and would you take them by the hand and would you place their hand into the hand of God? so they can walk together 
in relationship. The final, most important value that I want you to walk out of here with, it's all about people. It's all about people. It's the single most important thing that we can do. It's the people business. Wherever we go, the places we uh, frequent, it's the people there in our pathway. And I can tell you this, friends, when you get to the end of your life and you stare death right in the face, you're going to be glad in that moment for every investment you made in every human being that God put in your pathway. Every time you reached out, every time you encouraged, every time you showed love and kindness, every time you took their hand and connected it to the hand of God, it's all about people. To love people, to serve people, to share the love of Jesus with people, even hardcore cases who laugh at you, who ridicule you, who take aim at you. But remember, even in their lives, who knows what God might do as He supernaturally begins to touch their life, begins to change them. It's all about people. It's all about making a difference in their lives for the kingdom of God. So this morning, who knows what God will do in their lives? And who knows what God will do in your life today? I'm going to invite everyone to stand together. And I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads in reverence to God. This is a moment to literally respond to God's Word. The Word is very important. It says when you hear it and you receive it, it says to do it, to act upon it. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I pray a couple of prayers this morning. First prayer that I want us to pray is for those of you that have never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never known what it's like to have a personal relationship with God because of Jesus. You've never known this presence of love and mercy and grace. You've never known His supernatural touch. I want to invite you today to come into relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you this morning if that's you. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone to repeat it together. But would you do this? It'll make all the difference in your life and in your world. So with our heads bowed in respect to the Lord, if you want to ask Jesus into your life, let's all repeat this after me. God, I know that I'm a sinful person. God, I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that you're my only hope. I confess my sins. I confess my brokenness. Forgive me. I receive your forgiveness. 
I ask you to be my leader. Be my guide. And most of all, be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. You now have relationship with Jesus. And he wants to touch your life in a significant way. We have prayer partners here in front of the auditorium. And for those of you that would like personal prayer as we close today, you want someone just to agree with you. You want someone to lift you up, not only with your faith, but their faith. That whatever is going on in your life, whatever physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, you want to ask them to pray. I invite you right now, if you would like prayer, would you come and let these wonderful prayer partners in front have a chance to pray with you and to be that source of encouragement. I really believe God is going to supernaturally answer prayer today in our midst, for He is here. Now I want us to pray and ask God to build our faith as we go in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this hour that we've been in your presence to worship you, to glorify you, to honor you. Grateful that we've been in your presence to hear the word of the Lord. And now we want to do the word of the Lord together. God, build faith in every single one of us today because who knows what you want to do in our lives. You know every soul, you know every mind, you know every heart in this place, every situation that we're facing. But now we pray believing, believing your divine intervention. I ask God for all of us, may we have faith to believe. And more importantly, God, may we trust, trust to wait upon your timetable knowing that as we trust and believe and lean on you, you will direct our paths. And we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you as you go in the name of the Lord today. Reach my hands to the head. Lift my eyes where my help comes from. I look to you, my rock and my healer. I trust in you. Reach my hands. I reach my hands, Lord, to the heavens. I lift my
Trust in 